You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and I'm trying to remember how to do this podcast because I haven't <coughs> done it in forever. When I was last with you in December, you'll probably remember me saying, oh, I'm getting sick. Well, <laughs> that was the last time I went to work in 2023. <coughs> So between a combination of me and everybody in my house getting the flu and strep throat and me having to take my last vacation days for the year, I didn't drive back to work at all. So today was the first day in a very long time that I've come to the office (coughs) and been healthy enough to do so. So here I am. Hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. I wanted over my long break to do some studio shows I, re- I just really have an urging to finish that cross point series one because I don't like to leave things unfinished and two because that place just keeps growing but I just I just didn't feel like it and everybody around me was sick and it was just bleh, not going to do it so I didn't do it and quite frankly my head is still stuffy I bet I have spent over the past couple weeks on tissues, cough drops, and NyQuil. Like, my sinuses hurt from blowing my nose so much. So, I I feel like I'm on the end of it. But, oh, I'm sick of being sick. And I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way because it's been going around... You can still tell I still have a little bit of a little bit of cough remaining. When I was in college, Nyquil was basically alcohol and pseudoephedrine, and now it has neither of those things, and I don't think it works anymore. So there's that. I have a full show for you today because while I was on my little hiatus, people actually wrote in. To the inbox. I have a question today about Bible interpretation. Bible interpretation. Today's show topic is Andy Stanley, the worst Christian of 2023. So the last show was nominees for the worst Christian of 2023. And what I thought I would do is have a couple of other shows in between and then do whoever won because that person usually gets his own episode but it happened to be happens to be the next episode because i didn't do any so there's not really going to be a lot to talk about when i get to show topic time because i already talked about why this person i don't well this person why andy stanley the cat's out of the bag was nominated one thing i did do over the break was actually publish some blog posts 
So I had to, you know, I had to because here it is the new year. I gotta, I gotta name the worst Christian of the year and publish it. Either I like to do that on twelve thirty one or one one. So I had to write that blog article. I didn't feel good, and I think Andy Stanley's terrible. So I wasn't a long article. It was just like, all right, Andy Stanley wins because he's just awful. Just take my word for it. He's awful. I published that one, and then I set out to publish my Stevie Flockhart piece. <sighs> this is... <laughs> There's so much stuff on Stevie Flockhart, but I got about a third of the way done, and I was like, I don't, I'm not going to finish this. So I called it Part 1. So now that Stevie Flockhart thing is a Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. So I published part one. So if anybody actually wants to go to Pulpit and Pen and look at stuff, I have published new material. And for those of you who care about background stuff, I kept getting malware on the, on the site and it kept screwing it up. Some dude I didn't even know from Adam, who's just been a longtime reader, happens to be... A webmaster. He he he. Or, no, I even gonna say that. He hosts websites for a living. He has a company, so he fixed it for me, and now he's hosting Pulpit and Pen for free. So if anybody needs some website hosting services, I encourage you to reach out to Reformed Hosting. Reformed Hosting. Bill at Reformed Hosting, who's doing me a solid and hosting what's left of Pulpit and Pen for me. Because we all know Pulpit and Pen is not really an ongoing enterprise anymore. It's just it's there to be an archive of everything we've ever written about. And yeah, I do a couple of new articles every few months, but I don't really publish enough to justify asking people to help me pay for it. Uh, so I was paying for it myself, minus what the ads generated. And I had significantly scaled back on the ads, and they were from ChristianAd.net, so I wouldn't get any, you know, Victoria's Secret thong panties on there. Or worse. You know what's worse than Victoria's Secret? Fredericks of Hollywood. They're even raunchier. Uh, but, so I don't want to have any of that on there. And um, now I don't have ads at all because I don't have to pay for hosting. So hooray. But there's some articles on there if you'd like. <coughs> but before we get to the rest of the show, let's do the Bible chapter review. I didn't remember where I was. I had to listen to the last show to find my place. We're still in Matthew chapter 26. We're almost finished. Uh, Jesus' trial before the Jews is pretty much over. He's got he's still about got to be sent to Herod and the Romans. Uh, but Peter is there. And if you will recall, Jesus told the disciples, y'all are going to deny me. And Peter said, not me. And Jesus said, you're going to do it three times before the rooster crows. You're going to do it three times before morning. So we're going to cover Peter's denials. And in this Bible chapter of you, we're going to cover the first of his two denials. So starting in uh, verse 69, chapter 26, verse 69, we're going to go through 72. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. This is the courtyard at the high priest's house where they're having their little kangaroo court trial. Now Peter was singing out, sitting outside in the courtyard. 
And a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it, saying, I do not know the man. Now, by the way, the second person, the word servant girl, is not there in the Greek. It's implied. It just says another. We don't think it means another person. It means another servant girl. (coughs) So Peter's in the courtyard, and there's a lot of people in the courtyard because there's a commotion in the trial of Jesus going on. So a crowd has gathered. And remember, Judas had to identify Jesus because we are not in the information age or even the 50s when they had pictures. Or I guess they invented photographs before the 50s. <laughs> but they, there, was no, there was no wanted posters with people's names on them. So you, you could kind of walk around even if you were an associate of somebody who was wanted and not be noticed unless somebody recognized you. And that's exactly what happened. A servant girl notices Peter as one of Jesus' disciples. And Jesus is in the process of being convicted of blasphemy and being beaten. So there's a chance that they'd do that to Peter too if they had a hand of any, you know, got a hold of any of his disciples and they're angered. So Peter says, no, no, it's not me. It wasn't me. He's like, what was it, Shaggy? It wasn't me. That's what he said. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he leaves. He just gets out of the area. Because you have to remember, some servant girl is not an important person. You can just kind of blow them off. In, in the legal system of that days, I, those days, I don't even think that servant girl would have qualified as a witness in a court trial. But you, you certainly said, yeah, that's that's him. You know. But it's just so it's a, a person of low import says, hey, wait a minute. You were with Jesus the Galilean. and <coughs> You notice here you have Jesus referred to as Jesus the Galilean and Jesus is of Nazareth. Why? Because there's a blue million Jesuses back in that day. It's like Just like there's a blue million guys named Joshua now. How many Joshua's do you know or know of? Yeshua, Jesus. Uh, they would have called him Jesus. Well, that's actually, that's, is that Greek or Aramaic? Anyway, Jesus, there's a bunch of people named Jesus in that time because it's just the name Joshua and it was a popular name. So Jesus the Galilean. We're going to be very specific about the Jesus we're talking about here, Jesus of Nazareth, the guy who's getting beat up inside because he just said he was God. You're with, no, I don't know that guy. So Peter just kind of walks off to a different area and some other servant sees him and says, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. He goes, I don't know the man. Now, was Jesus, was Peter denying the Christian faith? Because people get into this and they use this and they say people can deny the faith and then we need to accept them back, even if they deny it under persecution. And they, this is their proof text for doing so. 
Or people use this as a proof text for Peter to say, you know, I don't believe. This is not Peter saying that he doesn't believe what we would call now the Christian faith. This, he's not apostatizing and saying, I don't believe. Okay? He's lying and saying, I don't know Jesus. In other words, I'm not a personal association, in personal association with this man. I don't know him. So think about it this way. Let's, let's think of some country where Christians are persecuted, but not they maybe they don't put them all in jail. So let's say Iran. And let's say there's some spiritual leader, some pastor that Iran wants to put in jail. And we'll name him, I don't want to name him Saeed, because that was a real person and he turned out to be a scumbag. Uh, let's, pa- pastor Ahmed. So Pastor Ahmed has been converting a lot of people to Christ lately. Uh, He's been very evangelistic. He's been helping the poor, too, and people want to come to him because of that. And it's causing all kinds of distress in the Muslim households. So the Iran's authority, they they, they want to arrest Pastor Ahmed. But uh, Ahmed has a friend, well, Sanjay, that's, that's not even a Persian name, I think that's Indian. But Sanjay is sort of his right-hand man. He's friends with him. So finally they catch Ahmed. They put him in jail. They find Sanjay and they say, You you know Ahmed. You're his right-hand man. No, I mean, I, I don't know any Ahmed. You got me confused with somebody else. He's not saying, I'm not a Christian. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not involved in this movement. He's saying, I don't know this dude that y'all are about to put in jail. And that's what Peter is doing here. He's not even denying the messiahship of Jesus. He's saying, I'm not in his gang. <laughs> you know, Jesus doesn't have a gang, but you know what I'm saying? I'm not a member of his organization. That guy, his right-hand man, Simon Peter, who's always with him, that's not me. I'm some other. You've got me confused. It's dark here. You can't really, yeah, how could you even see by the firelight here? It's in the early a.m. Not me. So he's not denying any tenets, he's sinning because he's lying, but he's not denying any tenets of the faith. He's not denying that Jesus is the Messiah. He's really just trying to say, no, 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 not me, I don't know him. Because he doesn't want to get beat up too. Because once the Jews are through, you remember when Jesus is crucified and after the resurrection he goes back to find the apostles and it says they're hiding for what? For fear of the Jews. Because they don't want to be brought up on charges too. So well, this guy was a blasphemer and the Romans executed and we need to execute you guys too because you guys are just going to try and keep his movement going. You guys believed him the whole time. You were helping him spread, it, you know, spread his popularity. So that's what Peter is doing here. He is not denying the faith. He's not, he's not denying that Jesus is Messiah. He's denying his own identity. He's saying, no, I'm not Peter. You got the wrong guy. It's not me. It's, think of it like this. If you were driving 100 miles an hour because you got a brand new Mustang. I rode in a brand new Mustang this week. My father-in-law uh, got one. And if you blow through a stop sign at 100 miles an hour, listen, if you're smart, you're just going to keep going. Maybe they won't catch you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obey the law. Pull over and pay your fine. But 
Let's say you blow through a stop sign at 100 miles an hour and you just lay on the gas. By the way, those Mustangs are fast. It had something like 580 horsepower. It was either 480 or 580. It was some absolutely ridiculous number that I had henceforth unimagined from a stock Ford. And so you go, you go and you, they don't get you. And the next day the cops see you. Hey, weren't you the guy driving that Mustang 100 miles an hour? Wasn't me. You're sitting in a Mustang. Somebody else, somebody else in a Mustang that looks just like mine. You're not saying the speed limit wasn't 100 miles an hour. You're not saying the cop doesn't have authority. You're just lying about who you are, which, again, it's wrong. But you see there's a different motive. So there's denying Christ, which is saying Jesus is not God. Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not my Savior. That's denying Christ. <coughs> None of us can really deny Christ in the way Peter denied knowing him because Peter's an apostle and he personally knew him like it's his buddy. Like, yes, I know Christ is my Savior. I'm a Christian. But and, and nobody who meets me thinks like you are friends with Jesus. Like you know who he is. You're his buddy. You're one of the Galilean guys who goes around with him. That's what he's under face or under threat of being beaten and arrested to. He's denying that he knows Jesus. I would not equate this as people sometimes do to denying the faith. I think it's a very specific situation. By the way, Peter shouldn't have done it, and he was wrong. And it was Jesus saying, y'all are going to deny me. Here's what happens. Peter feels sorry about it later. We will cover his third denial, Lord willing, on Thursday on the Christian commute. If I can actually manage to stay healthy for another day, I will drive to work on Thursday. Tomorrow I work from home. I had one more entry to book today to close the month. And I was sitting at the office, and it was a little after 6, and I was like, you know what? I want to save myself something to do tomorrow. So that's what I'm doing tomorrow, in case anybody's wondering. I'm going to accrue some payroll. Yay. I bet you if Peter was waiting on a paycheck, he'd say, that's me, I'm Peter, give me my paycheck. Now let's go to the inbox. If you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics, you can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com. It has been a while. We have gone a few weeks without a question. But I think I have two or three sitting in there. This one came through the phone line, voicemail box, which is 470-315-0875. That number again is 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. That's the roadside assistance line. And it is Jeff from Slow Driving Florida. Jeff from Slow Driving Florida. And he asked me, how do we know when to read the Bible literally and when to read it spiritually? I think what he's asking is how do we know when we should interpret <coughs> something someone says in the Bible literally or interpret it in, not necessarily spiritually, but in a maybe a metaphorical type of way. Because there's a difference between recognizing a metaphor and then spiritualizing a text. 
let me try. So here's an example. Uh, let's say a preacher wanted to say, you, you, you need to trust in God's plan for your life in the new year. You need to have an expectation that God is going to do right by you. What is your expectation for God in the new year? And then he's going to go back and say, listen, God came to visit Abraham, and Abraham said, I don't have a son. Eleazar, my servant Eleazar is, is my heir. I still don't have a son. And But God said, no, don't worry. That's my plan for you to give you a son. So you should have the hope for what God is going to do for you in the new year. So what does that mean? You're spiritualizing a text because the text here is something historic that happened. God literally came to Abraham after Abraham had been promised a son and still didn't have one and said, I'm still going to give you a son, don't worry. He cuts a covenant with him. Remember they, that God walks through the animals? Abraham doesn't. He cuts a one-sided covenant with him. So that's a story of something that really happened. It's not a metaphor for anything. Now, can we spiritualize that as a lesson for today? Just as Abraham should have waited upon God and trusted God's word, so should we. I guess you could, because it's true. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't really exegete that from that text. But there is a lesson there that we can learn from Abraham. Because what happened? Abraham and Sarah tried to do things their own way later, and that did not work out well for the world. <sighs> Using Hagar and having Ishmael. It didn't work out for Hagar and Ishmael very well either, quite frankly. <coughs> so they're spiritualizing a text, which is going to some text that literally happened, and then trying to get some spiritual lesson out of it. I don't think that's what Jeff is asking about. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Take something, first, let's just do it this way. What you want to do is consider the genre of the book. Is this meant to be taken literally, or is this meant to be taken figuratively? So think of Psalms, which is wisdom literature. It's poetry. Poetry is all the time meant to be taken in an abstract, figurative way, but it's also supposed to have a meaning that we can apply. So think about where it says in, in the Psalms that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Literally speaking, that would mean there's a thousand hills with cows on it and God owns them. Which is not true. That's not what it means. There's more than a thousand hills on the earth, by the way. It's not saying there's some finite amount of hills and God owns the cattle on those exact 1,000 hills. It's saying God has a lot. God is not lacking. Theologically speaking, the lesson is God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We take that literally. That's the psalm, and we take that literally. But when we say, when the psalmist said that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills, he's saying God is very, it's like God's very, very wealthy. God has more than the richest guy you know. God is not in need. And you can depend, God's not in need, and you can depend on God because you're not going to be in need if you're depending on God because God's going to God's going to provide for you. So that's when we understand that there's an abstract statement that's not to be taken literally that teaches us a divine truth that we get from that. All right. So let's go to another genre 
ancient biography slash gospel. These are stories about Jesus. We are supposed to understand that these things literally happened. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it says, I could have wrote more things, but I didn't have enough books to do it. You know, there's like there's not enough pages to write down all the stuff Jesus did. Which, by the way, is a figurative statement. It is very possible to write down everything Jesus would do. It just take years and years with the technology they had then. But what John is saying is, I did not put all the stories in here. And what we're supposed to get from that is these stories actually happen. From the genre, it's not like uh, Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. It's not Johnny Appleseed. Or, uh, what's the guy? Rip Van Winkle. These are not folk tales about exaggerated or exaggerated things about historical figures. I think Johnny Appleseed was a real person. Uh, and Paul Bunyan is like a representative legendary person. But you know, it's not that. That's not the genre. It's not the exploits of Beowulf either. These are things that actually happened by a person who lived, Jesus. And then that guy, Jesus, who actually lived, says... It is better to pluck your eye out and throw it away if you're, than go to hell, to burn in hell forever. You don't look on women with lust, okay? It's better to pluck your eye out. He, and he literally says it's better to pluck your eye out. But he doesn't literally mean rip your eyes out of your head so that you won't look on anybody with lust. And hey, by the way, blind guys can still have lust. They can imagine a woman that, that they've seen before because so, you know, they still know what women look like before they pluck their eyes out. They can imagine a woman. They can fill a woman up. You know, there's different, you, you, lust happens in your head. But what Jesus is saying is clean up your life and don't be lustful. It's not just about physically cheating on your wife. You can cheat on your wife in your head don't do that either that's lust and lust will lust listen lust is a damning sin you don't get your life right because nobody wants to go to hell it's better to be blind than go to hell it's better to not have a right hand than go to hell so Jesus is using figurative language he's not really saying rip your eye out so there's a genre that we're supposed to take literally, that literally in history Jesus said that. But then his lesson is not to be taken literally. So that's what us sort of turfer to interpret, because he's like, all right, now I've identified the genre of the book. But even within the genre of the book, there's something that's literally being said. It's a teaching that he's giving that's not meant to be taken literally. And in other words, I'm not supposed to literally cut my eyes out which by the way people I think uh, who was it I think Origen castrated himself taking something Jesus said literally about it's better to not have a woman if you if you can't you know if lust is so prevalent that's what the apostles said it's like well, it's better not even get married if it's that if it's that big a deal and that guy was like fine I'll castrate myself not what he was trying to do. Jesus, many have become eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. So, how do you know? That's your question. I'm just giving you examples. How do you know? Genre and context. 
You can also throw in common sense. You can also throw in the witness of the Holy Spirit because we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit who helps us understand God's Word. But generally speaking, genre and context. That's how you know. And... uh, I always say watch out for people spiritualizing texts. Because there are preachers who are going to get up, especially preaching through the Old Testament, and they're going to say, oh, there's this thing, and there's a lesson from it. And there are lessons there. But we're, we're first and foremost to remember, like, how does that fit into the meta narrative of salvation history? And then if you want to get a lesson out, go ahead. I mean, isn't it a good lesson to always wait on God to do what he said he was going to do and don't try and enact the plan yourself and where it gets tough where you spiritualize those things is God came to Abraham and said hey Abraham I'm God Uh, I want you to leave the land of your fathers and go to the land that I'll show you like if I get a job offer to move to California next month by the way I wouldn't do that for a million dollars God's not going to come to me and say Seth go to California it's because I'm not Abraham. I'm not a part of <laughs> the giving the Messiah to the world and being the founder of the Jews. I mean, I'm a part of the kingdom of God, just as anybody else is who knows Christ as Savior. But, I mean, I, I'm not Moses. I'm not Abraham. Sometimes people get into these stories and, like, God's got a plan for your life. You just need to be like Moses and listen to your, wait for your burning bush moment. That's spiritualizing it. You're not going to get a burning bush moment. You're not Moses. You're not David. You're not Abraham. Those things happen to them. Yes, there's stories in what they did, but God is not laying out plans for you that are as specific as as he laid out for them. So that's how you have to be careful with the spiritualization and that's how you can end up with a sermon like, well, I'm going to do what God had for me to do. And you're like, wait a second, he didn't have anything for me to do. Because he didn't tell me all the stuff that he He's not sending me up a mountain to sacrifice my son. He's not telling me what to do. He's not... You know, I don't need to go send people to warn my nephew Lot. You know, because God is not talking to me. I've got God's word and I have the general direction on what he's supposed to do. And of course, the Bible says that God has good works for me to do. Uh, that he prepared before the foundation of the world, but he's not appearing to me in a burning bush and saying, all right, I want you to go buy this homeless guy's groceries. All right, it's not like that. So, Jeff, thanks for that question. Now let's go to the show title. See, By the way, see how much better the show is when somebody writes a question and we don't just move right from the Bible chapter? Because, listen, we're going through a lot of narrative here. There's not a lot of lessons in these, we're talking about narrative and things that literally happen. Not a lot of lessons in Matthew 26. The theological point is one that, that, that we want to note is God, or Jesus is claiming to be God here. We, won't, we don't want to miss that. It's just, it's just stuff that's happening to drive the narrative. There's, I can't sit here and sermonize on it, can I? And then we, you, we move on to a show topic. But when somebody writes in, like, oh, let's talk about abstract things and metaphors in Scripture and how to apply them. Instead of how Andy Stanley's horrible. Alright, so if you will recall the nominees for Worst Christian of 2023 were Rick Warren, who 
Like I was thinking in June, like it, 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 it's a, Rick Warren's a lock. He's going to win this year, and I'm just going to have to find some other people to fill out the nominees. And Andy Stanley said in the well, I'll use the terms the pagans. I don't. I'm a Baptist. I don't drink beer. Andy Stanley said, "Hold my non-alcoholic Baptist beer." I bet. I will tell you this. I bet the percentage of people who drink beer and attend North Point Church is higher on average than the percentage of people who attend XYZ Southern Baptist Church. I gu- I'll just guarantee you that. I don't know what those numbers are. Quite frankly, looking around Facebook, there's a lot of Baptists drinking a beer. And it's like, stop! You, Baptists would not... There was no Facebook 20 years ago, but if there was, you would not have been putting beers on there. You would not have been doing that. Yes, I know it's not a sin to drink a beer, but we just don't... Just, what happened to just not doing that and being ultra-legalistic about it? Can we not live differently anymore? You and your alcohol parties... So you see these people at church, and it's just like, you beer drinker. I'm not, I'm, there's nothing Matthew 18 to say to you, because you're not doing anything wrong, but eh. there's a larger thing at hand. Now it's dark room, hillsong elevation, and people are okay with beer. It's a culture shift. I think that's why people get legalistic about things, because they know there are these things on the periphery, that aren't really sins, and people have the Christian liberty to do, and it doesn't even matter one way or the other. But you see the cultural change, and you know it's moving out from under your feet. I think that's where a lot of legalism probably comes with. You know what I'd rather have than uh, dark rooms singing Elevation and people, Christians on Facebook, with a beer in their hand? I would, I'd rather have legalism. I would li- I'd rather have somebody tell my wife to wear a dress and me to have a crew cut. Than elevation, I, I would try for a million times. I would trade it a million times over. I will wear khaki pants or slacks and have a crew cut, and my wife has to wear a dress to church I, every Sunday for the rest of my life. I would trade that for no more elevation music and what the, the mix church has become. Anyway, it's one of those things. It's one of those empirical things. Like I bet you. I bet you Andy Stanley's people at his church, I bet they drink beer. What's wrong with that? Nothing. But you see them versus anybody else. It's just kind of how things are. Nothing wrong with it, but it's, what is that phrase? Uh, Thomas Sowell likes to use it. Correlation is not causation. So if you look at there's things that will be correlated with a church in disrepair and a bad pastor. And I think a correlated, a correlated thing is going to be a large percentage of people at your church who drink alcohol. Nothing wrong with it, but that's going to be correlated to liberal churches and fun-time McChurches, and it's going to be correlated to people who don't know their Bible. It just will be. Maybe that'll change in 50 years as fundamentalism wanes away, but that's just my opinion. And uh, has nothing to do really with the show topic, but how long? I really can't spend another episode. I'm tired of doing it, and you people are tired of hearing it, telling you how awful, awful Andy Stanley is. But I'm just saying, Rick Warren was a lock with his, not just like his rejection of egalitarianism. Okay, a lot of people doing that, but then like trying to make everybody else go along with him, like it's okay because he's doing it. 
But then Andy Stanley said, hold my Baptist non-alcoholic beer. I'm about to be gay affirming. I was like, okay. Well, there you go, Andy Stanley. You win. And Russell Moore, he tried to come in at the end. At the end, I, I was like, you know what? If it was a Lifetime Achievement Award, I might have it, give it to Russ Moore. Because Christianity Today is so awful. And that's why he was nominated for being editor of Christianity Today. And it's just an awful representative of Christianity. I mean, right there at the end of the year, they had some article or tweet about, well, listen, this is we're dealing with this gender thing. Because it's a newspaper, right? And now the AP style is if Bruce Jenner wants to call himself Caitlyn, you have to refer to him as Caitlyn and say her instead of his. Where a Christian publication is going to get a transgender person and they should give him give that person his God-given to sign sex. But this is going to be confusion to people reading. Like, wait, I thought he was a she, but he was a he. So like, there's a lot of confusion about this. we got to give each other grace. Like, no! How obvious is it that you need to call he's, he's, and she's, she's? But that's Christianity Today for you. And then at Christmas, they're like, here's a painting of Jesus as an Asian person. Because Jesus was from Asia. Okay, like, no, Jesus is is not from... I mean, he was, yes, Israel is technically Asia. The Middle East is technically Asia. I think Europe starts at a part of Turkey. And then Africa, he was right there close to Africa, too. Like, Jesus, see, Jesus grew up in Africa. Because he did, it was in Egypt. He went to Egypt, that's Africa. But it's not, when we say Asian now, it's like we mean like chopsticks and, and Hyundais, okay? That's what we, there's certain, like, people who look like Jackie Chan, not people who look like Paul Newman. You know, Paul Newman's half Jewish. But, you know, it's just like, let's be let's be diverse, equity, inclusion. That's like the kind of crap, Christianity. Why are you doing that? What's the point of doing that? So, I mean, Russell Moore tried to come on strong at the end. And like I said, Julie, Julie Royce was just there as a placeholder. But Andy Stanley took it. He, he won it. And the reasoning was this. Not just that being gay-affirming is bad, because it is, and there's going to be a lot of pastors and churches come out as gay affirming. Look at the United Methodist Church. I was in Colbert, Georgia this weekend. And their church was one of these small town churches. I used to drive around at Christmas and be like, why? There's no way these people in Colbert, Georgia are gay affirming. Why are they still United Methodist? And their building said Colbert. And then there was a big blank space where they had ripped United off of their building. Methodist Church. (laughs) So they had finally left the United Methodist uh, Church, and the United Methodists are splitting over this. But you're going to have, uh, you know, these non-denoms being more gay-affirming. It wouldn't surprise me if Crosspoint, in five to ten years, here in Cartersville, uh, ha- I'll tell you this. Let me put it this way: if there's going to be a gay couple who regularly go to evangelical church in Cartersville, like not high church Catholic type stuff or Episcopalian. But if if there's going to be a a gay couple who goes to church and and says they're Christians, they'd go to Crosspoint. And Crosspoint would just baptize them and be fine with it. I really think that. I really do. Um, But I don't think that James is going to get from that's the pastor. They're going to get on the pulpit and say homosexuality is not sinful. The acts, at least. That's just my read. But Andy Stanley 
given his level of influ- influence that he writes books on how to pastor and pastors just eat these books up. I remember when I, I've told this story before, when I was at Elevation Church, somebody finally pointed out the church book resources, recommended books to me. And it was like so eclectic. It was like, there's books by Vody Bauckham on there. I think there might have been a book by John MacArthur. And, but then there's books by Andy Stanley and Rick Warren. I'm like, why do you have Andy Stanley books on here? Andy Stanley's awful. And like, Vody Bauckham would say, Andy Stanley's awful. I really think he would. And it's like, what? But he had those books on there, and there's people planning churches, like Tim Samples at Elevation, thinking, how do I do something like Rick Warren or Andy Stanley suggests? And then you have Andy Stanley, who's out there franchising his churches. So you know, there's corporate... This the thing about franchise franchises. Has anybody ever been to a TJ Applebee's before? There's Applebee's, and then there's TJ Applebee's. It used to be, when you went to a TJ Applebee's, that was owned by the original Applebee's people. It was like a, was it a franchised Applebee's? It was an original one. And it, it you can be like that, say, with say like a Shane's Rib Shack. Shane's Rib Shack has corporate owned stores that the company I forget who it's um, I forget the name of the company that owns the Shane's Rib Shack brand. But like that like Shane himself still has a stake in that. Because I think he has some stock in that company. But then there's franchises. They don't have anything to do with Shane, the original Rib Shack guy. They've just franchised this thing. That's a franchise store. We have franchise stores in the company I own. We have a chain of stores that sell carpet, and some of them are ours that the company owns, and some of them are franchise-owned. And it's like that with Andy Stanley. There's North Point Ministries, so there's North Point Church, and there's Brownsbridge Church, there's Buckhead City Church, and there's Woodstock Church. Is it Woodstock City or just Woodstock? And they got one in Gwinnett now, too. And uh, and these are churches that are like controlled by North Point Ministries. And Andy, they have Andy Stanley as their pastor, but then there's campus hirelings uh, who work for him. But then there's their franchise churches that have a, basically a subscription to North Point's sermons, and they're not controlled by North Point because they're not campus churches in North Point, but they do everything the North Point way, and they'll even pipe in Andy Stanley's sermons or use Andy Stanley's sermons. So it's like they're franchises. They're independent. One of my favorite places to eat in Dalton is the Western, oh, was the Western Sizzlin. Here's that. Uh, this guy owned a steak, owned a Western Sizzlin franchise for 30 years. Then he retired. He sold the business to his kids, and his kids stopped, stopped being a Western Sizzlin. They took the sign down, and they renamed it Yellowstone, Yellowstone Steak and Buffet. I ate there today. You can get a six-ounce sirloin steak and a giant baked potato for $8.79. And I ate there today. It's a decent steak. It's not crappy. And everything was the same as it was before, except the names and decor had changed. Same menu. I mean, there was like the bread was a little different, the steak was a little different, but they basically are just like doing the same thing, but they're not controlled by, or they're not official with Western Sizzling anymore. So Andy Stanley has this franchise model. He's really he's franchised his unbiblical model to churches everywhere, and pastors are Im- copying him. And now people in the culture think this is what church is. This is normative. And then all of a sudden, now he's gay affirming. 
And he's just like, how many people do you want to condemn to hell? And you know what? You know, you know what really bothers me about it? Because when it comes down to it, when you're a Christian, you need to care about people's souls. You don't want people to go to hell. You want to evangelize people. You want people going to hell. And you see somebody like Andy Stanley who's going to boil those frogs. He's going to have homosexual people come into his church. And he's going to let them be a part of the covenant community. But they're still dead in their sins. And he'd rather have people come. And he'd rather have the world not judge him for being uh, exclusionary of, of people who live their lives in blatant, unrepentant sin. And he'd, he'd, rather be more, he'd rather be attractional than holy. And that's ultimately going to cost souls. Because there's people who are never going to repent because they think they're okay, because they're included in the covenant community, but they're not saved, and they haven't changed their lives, and they're not holy, and they're going to die and go to hell. And they're going to die and go to hell, and Andy Stanley's band is going to march on, and his church is going to stay huge. It's, it's, it's disgusting. And that's you know what moved the needle for him. So I got on Etsy. And I used to order my goat trophies from a seller on Etsy called Country Cousins Awards. And they are not on Etsy anymore. So I had to find somebody else to make my custom goat trophy. And uh, I used to give $20 for them. This one was 11 It was a little smaller. Uh, times are hard. And I customized it. And after shipping, it was $18. And I sent it to North Point Church care or to Andy Stanley care of North Point Church in Alpharetta. So I don't know if he'll get his I don't know if he'll get it or not. The only person I ever knew for sure who got his little goat trophy was uh, JD Greer cuz he showed it. I think he thought it was a joke at first. It's like no. It's, it's not a joke. <laughs> I don't remember if I wrote pulpit and pen on his. Maybe and I, I know I did on Beth Moore's and Johnny Hunt's, and I but I don't know if they got that. I sent Johnny Hunt's to New Day Ministries. I sent Beth Moore's to Living Proof Ministries. I have no idea if they got them. Uh, so I have no idea if Andy Stanley will get his his little goat trophy. Al Moeller's I sent to the seminary. I don't know if he'll get it. I didn't send one to uh, Tom Rayner. That was the first year I gave it out. But I sent it, and now I'm done. And now, sometime in, sometime in July, like seven months from now, I'm gonna remember, like, oh man, uh, I I'm gonna have to write that blog article in three months, and I don't, uh, I don't have any nominees. Somebody, somebody will do something. <laughs> as long as Russell Moore lives and breathes, Russell Moore is like the Susan Lucci of it. Like I nominate him all the time, but he never wins. So he'll do something to be there. Well, maybe Priscilla Shower will do something stupid. You count on her. So we'll see. But let, 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 hey, it, the, the, the year is young. 2023, it was Andy Stanley. And listen, everybody who listens to this podcast know Andy Stanley is terrible already. But I want to I give you people some advice. Especially people local like me. I'm, I'm near Alpharetta. If you know people who go to an Andy Stanley church, you should presume that they're lost and they need to be evangelized. I would not count them as Christians. Now, there may be a lot of saved people in Andy Stanley churches because they will eventually hear the real gospel there. Even even Roman Catholics through their church can hear the gospel that Jesus died on the cross from our sins and rose again and he saves us. I mean, they can... The Catholics get the gospel wrong, but they also teach those true parts about it. So just as there are likely 
regenerate people who believe the gospel in the Roman Catholic Church. They haven't left yet. They haven't figured it all out. Especially, there's probably regenerate people in Andy Stanley's church. Probably a lot of young people too, because their parents take them there. So I'm sure there's regenerate people there. Like I'd bet, I'd bet money on it. You know, but I would only find out the truth when I get to heaven. And God reveals all, and then I wouldn't need money. I won my bet. Now I got money, and I'm, now I'm in heaven where there's no scarcity, and I don't need money. Uh, but. Uh, how about this? Adults who are members there. I don't even know if they have traditional membership. But if if that's their church, if that's someone's church home, you know, you need to assume that person is lost. Because they don't care about holiness. They can sit there and say, well, I believe the Bible. I believe the gospel. I believe, well, how come you don't care about holiness? And that's the conversation you need to have. Like, how come you, you, you don't care about holiness? And how come you're funding a, a man who doesn't care about holiness? Because it, it comes to like you're taking your family there. That's you're taking your family somewhere is probably a bigger endorsement than money. Because aren't your kids more precious? Your wife and kids aren't they more precious than money? Because wouldn't you spend all your money on them if you had to to save them from some calamity, some m- malady, some sickness? So there is some kind of of endorsement there. She's like, not only are you funding this wolf, you're taking your family there. Because Andy Stanley is a wolf. So when you see people who go to one of these churches and they're under the sway of a wolf, like what do you, what should you want to do? Well, if, if, if your neighbor was getting attacked by a wolf outside, when you try and snatch him away from the wolf... Well, when you try to snatch somebody away from Andy Stanley, and here you know, here in Cartersville, we don't have an Andy Stanley church, but it's like Cross Point. Like I know people that I'm friends with, and neighbors with. Like, these are people like, I'm friends with. My kids are friends with their kids. Like, and these are people in my life that are in my social group. Some of them are probably saved. Some of them probably aren't, but they go to Cross Point, and I'm going to treat them, you know, like they don't know that that, that I'm going to treat them like a mission field as long as they're there. And you should do the same thing with 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 Andy Stanley Church. Uh, Treat him like a mission field, and you can. I want you to use this tool now that you have worst Christian of 2023. Send him the link. Hey, look, did you know he was the worst Christian of 2023? And somebody's going to say, "How judgmental and how awful!" And you say, "Yeah, I know." There's a there's a whole disclaimer on it's not really the worst, but um, share it with him. Make him consider. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. I'm in my driveway. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again Thursday. As always, God bless. I hope somebody still listens to this show. because I hope somebody checks. You know, Maybe people stop checking because there has been no new ones. But thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. As always, God bless. And as always, remember Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.